This episode of The Sleeper and the Bus is brought to you by Out of the Park Baseball 19, the best baseball strategy game ever made. Available now on PC, Mac, and Linux platforms. It's officially licensed by MLB and the MLBPA, allowing you to take any team from any era, from any level, and run it the way you want with unprecedented depth, control, and authenticity. New features for this year include dramatic 3D ballpark and player improvements, an all-new tournament mode, allowing for infinite combinations, all new scouting systems, significant AI adjustments based on the latest trends, and so much more. Even better, if you order now through the Sleeper in the Bus podcast, you'll receive a special 10% discount off the retail price of $39.99 by going to OOTP Developments and clicking on the order banner. Just enter the code SLEEPER19 at checkout. Once again, just go to OOTPDevelopments.com, click on the order banner, then enter the code SLEEPER19 at checkout for a special discount that helps support the Sleeper in the Bust. Thanks. episode 582 of the sleeper and the bust it is thursday august 2nd i'm your host paul sporer and i'm flying solo today and i'm talking about the trade deadline of course who isn't Uh, but i've got a little bit of a different take on it i've got 10 guys whose value is up after the trade deadline and they're not involved in the trades right so basically aftermath guys filling in taking taking spots that have now been vacated or or could right you know some of these th- there's a range of talent here as as you'll find out and in fact there's actually kind of 11 players cuz I, I did I did a little bit of a combo one um but let's just uh, let's just jump into it as someone says those of you who watch YouTube know who that is uh let's start with Jorge Polanco now he was already going to be playing uh pretty regularly when he came back from suspension i, I understand that but now the path is fully cleared with Dozier, Brian Dozier, and Eduardo Escobar being gone. And we get a chance to see if, if Jorge Polanco, you know, is is really worth uh, some of the hype. You know, he had some preseason hype that was obviously dashed by the suspension. And so he didn't really have to show if uh, if last year's second half was, was legitimate or not. Let me get you those second half numbers. He ended... He ended the season 13-13, homers and, and stolen bases, which, you know, for a middle infielder type thir- at 23 years old, uh, he was he was shortstop last year. That's pretty good. Um, even even taking the, the weaker end of that, the front end of that season, that's a pretty good season. Uh, but he did have a pretty severe split where 10 of the homers and 7 of the stolen bases came in the second half with a two ninety three average. He was... He was Actually, quite useless early on, including a 17-game uh, stint in June, or excuse me, in July, where he hit 0.78. Yikes! So he did a lot of it in August and September. Uh, Jorge Polanco did, and you know, I was a little bit concerned on him. The same reason I was with Buxton and even Kyle Gibson was because they had such a cake schedule in the second half. I thought that was a big part of why they were successful, and. You know, Gibson has definitely said, we'll forget you, Sporer. Um, You're a clown, and I'm going to embarrass you because I'm going to have a really good season. <laughs> and he has. You know, hats off to him. That's great. I was looking at it skeptically because despite a big second-half surge or even a final couple months surge, he's still out of 507 ERA. Like, how's that even good? 
But this year he's up to strikeouts, uh, you know, sliders working better, and he's just been good. We're not talking about him, though. We're talking about Jorge Polanco. He's back. He's got the uh, the playing time on lock now, and he is out to a little 284 average so far in 108 plate appearances. That's not bad. Three stolen bases as well with the, with the scarcity of stolen bases. You'll take that, but no homers yet. So we'll see if the power comes. I will say, though, if it's just the speed, that's about a 20 steal, uh, 20 steal pace. And so, you know, you can get, what do you get, another eight-ish steals the rest of the way? Something something to that effect? I don't know. I, I think we could see some speed out of Polanco, which, if that's what you're chasing, right now is about the category management, right? I, I know if you're in points leagues, it's a little bit different, head-to-head uh, -head points leagues especially. Okay, I'm talking Roto here, though. You're managing categories, and that is the most important thing, and you don't worry so much about draft day value or even you know overall dollar value. If they help you in a certain category, you go for it. Jorge Polanco right now can probably give you a little bit of a speed burst because even if he had 8 to 10 the rest of the season, I mean, that would put him among the leaders, I'd bet. Um, so that's where he gets value. And again, the playing time is free and clear. He was already... He was already probably slated to be the full-time shortstop once Escobar was gone, but now moving Dozier as well, boom, free and clear, nothing in his way whatsoever. So that's Jorge Polanco. Uh, next up, I could have paired these guys, but I actually like both. So I'm, I'm going to talk about them individually, and that's going to be a couple of Cardinals, Harrison Bader and Tyler O'Neill. So when Tommy Pham was dealt, Tyler O'Neill, I believe, was called up almost right right in response uh, you can you can correct me if I'm wrong on that uh, but I feel like that was kind of the connection of hey we're sending fam to Tampa Bay and boom O'Neill's right back up because Bader was already already there um, and so you know that would make sense you got to get O'Neill back on the team O'Neill's a bopper y'all I mean just plain and simple if you're you know he's kind of more of the uh, I don't want to say run of the mill because I do think he has some kind of next I, I do think he has next level power but He's kind of your standard guy that we're dealing with these days. Lots of power, and and we'll kind of see what else is there. He doesn't strike out an egregious amount. I mean, he has in the majors so far this year, 51 plate appearances for Tyler O'Neill, 41% strikeout rate, but he's been in the mid-20s in his minor league career with a good walk rate usually too, about 11%. Mid-20s strikeout rate, even high-20s strikeout rate with an 11% walk rate, I can take that. But a 23% swinging strike rate and 41% strikeout rate, well, that that's a little bit more severe there for, for Tyler O'Neill. But it's a 51-plate appearance sample, and so I don't want to get too crazy on it. He did have three homers in that time as well. So we'll see what he does when he comes up. That's a power source. I think that's a guy who he had an 1,100 OPS with a 311 average and 26 homers in 61 games at AAA this year. This is the kind of power that you're talking about. And the International League, oh no, no, I think that is still the Pacific Coast League, Memphis, but not, not the level that you think of with the Pacific Coast League. Meaning Memphis, I don't believe super inflates offense. Now he goes around the rest of the Pacific Coast League and, and plays in some friendly offensive environments. But this is not new from O'Neill either. You're talking about a 295 ISO back in 17. Um, that was with the Cardinals triple a two thirty five with the Mariners triple a he split between those two, 
uh, teams last year when he was traded for Marco Gonzalez, I believe. 215 in double A back in 16, 297. These are his ISO marks, which is slugging minus average. It gets to the heart of your power. Tyrone O'Neill is a true power guy. He's got 70 raw on our on our scouting report here on his page and 50 to 55 game power. You know, it once once that raw starts to kind of morph into more game power, you could see him as a 60 game power sort of guy. Can he maintain the strikeouts to a more manageable level and become an asset? I think you have to take a shot in most formats because he could be that game changer if he plays up to fruition. Um, and so, you know, the probability of it right away is low. But the upside is substantial. Now, Harrison Bader, his teammate, might actually be the 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 better asset here as far as getting playing time and taking advantage of uh, Tommy Pham being dealt. And I like Bader a lot because he has a power-speed combo. Now, the power is not great, but he does have six homers and 84 games. So... I say power speed, meaning contributions in both. I, I'm not. I don't want to overplay the power. In, in fact, it'd be better said as a speed power combo to emphasize the fact that the speed is really what you're going for. He's 10 for 12 on the bases this year. Harrison Bader is, and he's a big time uh, speed guy. He's got great speed. That his sprint speed uh, metrics over on on Statcast are really strong. Let me actually pull that up and see where he ranks. You know, on the solos, you're going to hear me typing a little bit, taking a drink here and there. So. Let's let's do two birds, one stone here. Let's look at Bader's speed and take a drink. All right, so I'm on the Sprint Speed leaderboard at Baseball Savant. And if you just Google Sprint Speed leaderboard, you'll, you'll pull it right up. Because I could give you the whole link, but you're not going to remember it. Just do Sprint Speed leaderboard. You'll find it. It's very useful to get an idea of who has, who has the best uh, blazing speed. Harrison Bader is sixth. Squinched right in between Trey Turner and Ronald Acuna Jr. at uh, 29.9 feet per second. And obviously, the more feet you cover per second, the better. Uh, Byron Buxton leads the league at 30.6. Then Delano DeShields, 30.2. Adam Engel, fourth outfielder type ed, uh, for the White Sox, 30.1. Billy Hamilton, unsurprisingly, 30.1 as well. Then Turner, Bader, and Acuna's at uh, 29.8, by the way. You know who's a little bit of a surprising one that I just didn't realize he was this fast? You know who's number nine? Trevor Story at 29.7. I like that. In fact, by the way, um, our number five guy. Actually, you know what? I'll bump him up. I'll do, I'll do a little bit of a combo talk here. Since we're talking sprint speeds, let's talk about the number eight guy as well. And I'll finish up on Bader, but I want to point out number eight on the sprint speed leaderboard, Alberto Mondesi at 29.8. He's actually tied with Acuna. And I'm going to get to him in a moment, but he's another speed asset. And you kind of get a little bit of a theme there with a couple speed guys. Speed has been so difficult to find. I think uh, Marte leads the league with like eight steals. That, that, that leads the league this year, eight. I'm just kidding. It's obviously not eight, but legitimately mid-20s is leading the league. Marte's not leading anymore. He has 25. I wonder who overtook him. Probably somebody with like 26, 27, 28-ish. 28 for Trey Turner, and he leads the league. Like, that's wild on August 2nd, y'all. That is absolutely insane. So if you can find somebody who could give you double-digit steals the rest of the way, that could be awesome. Now, I mentioned 84 games for, um, for Harrison Bader. 
he doesn't have 84 games of plate appearances though because he can he comes in as a sub or gets subbed out himself. He has 227 plate appearances and so, you know, if you're talking about a a 162 if he played every game with that sort of rate, it would be 437 plate appearances. Whereas most people who play 162 games, you're talking 600 plus. So that kind of gives you an idea. So I should have just used the plate appearances when I was saying that he has six homers, 10 steals in 227 plate appearances. I wouldn't, I mean, you could kind of multiply that by three if you were really trying to get a full season outlook for what a full-time starter would be. But Let's not even worry about paces or anything like that. What could Bader do the rest of the season as the starting center fielder? Could he could he double his steals to 10? I think so. Now, he hasn't been amazing at the dish with a 275, 345, 412. Like that's not knocking your socks off, but it's above average. And it is better than the uh, major league sample that we saw last year from Bader. That 345 OBP is getting on base at a decent clip with an 8% walk rate. He strikes out a little bit too much as well, 29%. Um, not 41% like O'Neill, but again, that's 51 plate appearances for O'Neill. Uh, but I like Bader. I saw him at the Arizona Fall League. One of the guys that I really, really liked when I saw him there. I think he's kind of that Cardinals model of a guy who's just really solid. Um, probably not superstar caliber, but just really good. Uh, you know, maybe like a Piscotti with some speed. Think, think of Piscotti's profile, not so much exactly what they do, just kind of his, his statistical profile of, you know, solid power, solid average, throw in some speed. I think you got Bader. So I really like Bader a lot. Um, I mentioned O'Neill first. I, I think I would take Bader first. He's also going to be less available though, especially because a lot of these, uh, once we get deeper into the list here, are going to be single league viable or deep league viable. Bader's, Bader's on a roster in pretty much uh, everything beyond a 12-teamer, I would say, and maybe even some 12-teamers as, as a reserve, depending on how many reserves you've got. So we're talking deeper leagues. That's why O'Neill got mentioned first. He's going to be more available in those deeper leagues. But if Bader's out there in your 15-teamer or or deeper for mixed league or anything with an NL only, but there's no way. There's no way he's available in the NL only league. Obviously, scoop him at that point. Uh, let's move on to Mondesi, who I just mentioned briefly there on the Kansas City Royals. And his job's going to be wide open now. I think he's going to get a real chance to actually see what Mondesi, son of Raul Mondesi, can do with that blazing speed. Now, he also comes with a little bit of punch. And it, again, it's not knocking your socks off, and I would definitely, definitely uh, frame him as a speed power type where you're putting the power second. Just saying that he could, over a full season, kind of a a you know high upside uh, outlook for Mondesi would be I don't know, 30 steals, 12 homers, right? So you're not getting uh, skunked in the power there. Unlike somebody like a Billy Hamilton where you're, where you're giving all that power back, D. Gordon, um, Delano DeShields. With Mondesi, I think you're going to get a little bit of pop as well. In AAA this year, 133 plate appearances, 5 homers, 10 steals. 10 for 10, by the way. So far in 99 plate appearances at the major league level, 3 homers, eight steals on uh, 11 chances. So I really like what he's doing there. He's hitting 271 so far, 354 BABIP. 354 BABIP, you would normally say, well, 
what, what, how much is that going to sustain? That's that's running pretty high. But guys set their own BABIPs, and if they have speed, they they can kind of set higher than that normal something in the low 300s range. So a 354 is actually not inherently unbelievable for Mondesi. I do see a pretty bad plate approach, though. 28% strikeout, 2% walk. I can lay off you on the walk rate if you're striking out 20% or lower. But if you're striking out 28%, come on. We have to have a little give and take here. And and this profile with the 271 average leads to a 286 OBP. But he's 22 years old, okay? He's been around for a long time in the consciousness. There might be some prospect fatigue on Mondesi because he was in rookie ball for the Royals at age 16. So, you know, since 2012, it feels like he's been around for a while. And I'm sure some folks who have kind of put him in the back of their mind are going to be stunned to learn that Mondesi is 22. And so with that in mind, I think you have to say, okay, that's a little bit different than, than what I thought. Um, I, I like this potential here. And so I think Mondesi can be another speed asset and maybe even a little bit more appealing than Bader because you can get Mondesi in the middle infield. And, you know, depending on your needs... Often, middle infield is more of more of a need than than the outfield, but we'll see. Uh, he qualifies. He should qualify at short and second in a lot of leagues, I would think. Now, he didn't play enough games. He only played 25 games last year, but not 20 at any position, Mondesi. He played uh, second base 14 times. So I wonder, I think he would have come in with second base eligibility, and then he's played 18 games, 15 starts at shortstop this year. So my guess is second shortstop eligibility, I like that, so um, I like what Mondesi could do there with his speed. I'm really torn between those two. I'm still going to lean Bader, and the the thing of it is, though, again, Bader's already going to be on a roster in, in more formats. Mondesi's going to be more available anyway, so it's probably not a great uh, – it's probably not worth agonizing which one to pick up because I doubt that's going to be an option for many folks outside of maybe like a 12-teamer. And then if you are looking for speed, again, Eileen Bader. I like both, though, and I think both can be speed assets. The lone pitcher on this list, I don't know. I'm at a loss because, like, how many more games are they going to win? But it's Mike Al Givens. I like his general talent. I, I still think he's I think he's better than what we've seen this year. We've seen a near 5 ERA, uh, excuse me, because his walks have really surged, as have his hits, and it's a 151 whip. But, I mean, who's going to close there? I, I I don't know. You know they've traded Britton Brock and Britton and Brock and O'Day's on the uh, on the disabled list. For, well, they traded him too, but he even if he had been around, he's out for the year. Atlanta got him uh, in the Gosman deal for next year because uh, he'll be back from I think a torn hamstring. Either way, he's out. Like it's not it's not something where oh maybe we can get him back here. All the reports on O'Day are that he's done. Back to Baltimore though, man. Maybe Givens was a bad inclusion. I'm looking now. He's given up runs in his last four outings and five of his last six. Dude, what are you doing? I, okay, here's the thing, too. I like Miguel Castro. I think Miguel Castro is an uh, interesting talent as well. But he has terrible metrics. Like, absolutely god-awful. Like, legitimately one-to-one strikeout-to-walk ratio. That just That's not going to work, you know? I can't, I can't get behind that, all that contact. The one good thing he's done this year is drop his home run rate. 
He allowed eight homers in 66 innings last year. He's allowed three this year in 62 innings. So n- nearly the same sample sizes, and you see five homers shaved off. So that's good. At least you're not giving up the long ball, but you're walking five and a half per nine and striking out 5.7. <laughs> like, that's so bad. I mean, he's 23 years old. Maybe they want to just kind of – that's the thing, though, too. They could kind of put him in there and say, listen, we know he's not great right now. But we want him to be the the future closer for the team, so let's kind of work it out now. I would actually think that that's a perfectly smart move. Uh, same perhaps with a Tanner Scott, who's also got a little bit of a mess in his profile. Saw him in the fall league as well, just popping 100 easily from the left side with a devastating uh, breaker as well. Definitely raw. Has uh, 15 walks in his 30 innings. You don't love that. Four homers as well. That's a 1.2 mark. 34 hits. So all that's bad. But in those 30 innings, 46 strikeouts. So there is a positive factor there. He does miss bats. Tanner Scott, the lefty, could also get a look. The bottom line is you really don't want to mess with Baltimore. But it is a wide open scenario. And sometimes when you're scrounging for saves, even the six saves that somebody like a uh, Michael Givens could get you could be enough. So I wanted to at least address their situation and mention the names in question. And I would rank them right now, Givens, Castro, Scott. Uh, You know, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention Paul Fry. Who, you say? I don't know either. Great first name. Don't think he's related to Jace Fry, uh, who you might be confusing him with because he's kind of in the White Sox mix now that Soria's out. Are they both lefties? Let's see. Let's see. I'm going to Jace Fry right now. Oh, yeah. A couple left. Are they related? It would it would be listed, I feel like. Let's see. One's from Beaverton, Oregon. That's Jace. Oh, and Paul Fry's from Pontiac, Michigan. I probably knew him. I, I lived in Michigan. Everyone in the same state. You know each other, right? Tangent time. My favorite thing was that I went to the University of Texas. And for those of you that don't know, it is a massive school. One of the biggest in the country. In fact, when I was there, it was... Us versus uh, Ohio State in terms of biggest and, and most people and everything. Kind of going back and forth. I think we, you know, we added a couple of years. They would take it, et cetera. I would love when I was introducing myself to somebody, oh, hey, you know, um, I'm Paul. Nice to meet you. Went to the University of Texas. Because you, know, you always talk about your college when you were in college. Oh, do you know Dave? Yeah. I know Dave from the University of Texas. Like, it wasn't quite... Obviously, I played that up, but it was pretty close to that in terms of the lack of info they'd give and ask if I knew this guy. And I'd just be looking at them like, no, I like what? You gave no describing factors whatsoever. You simply gave a first name and a loose description. Did you know Dave? Uh, he had eyes and like he went to classes. Uh, he did have hair and two legs. Did you know him? Oh, Dave. Yeah, Dave with the eyes. I did know him. Uh, but yeah, so that's that was the joke I was going for there with the Michigan thing. But Paul Fry, back to the matter at hand, does have 14 innings with some great skills. He's a lefty as well. There's a little bit of lefty bias when you're talking about getting a closer's role. But what, what, what bias would they have in Baltimore? What do they care about putting one of their lefties there? Plus, they would have Tanner Scott still. Because I feel like the, the bias comes in that you don't want to take your key lefty out uh, from those those sixth to eighth inning areas when a key left-handed batter would come up, say a um, I don't know I'm trying to think of a key lefty in the AL West uh, uh, AL Central excuse me 
AL East. Jeez, third time's a try. That's disgusting, Paul. Um, who he he would have to face? Like obviously, Poppy's gone. Who's a key lefty on Boston? Anybody? Oh, Benintendi, I guess. Okay, you know something like that. Uh, but anyway, that's kind of the idea. Was you want to have that lefty ready to go? Um, you know, when when a team's key lefty comes up in a in a high leverage situation, and that's why I feel like they didn't get closer. Uh, they don't get to be in the closers role quite as much. Also, the fact that there's more right-handed batters than lefties, you would be foregoing the uh, the 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 platoon advantage. However, in this scenario, again, it's Baltimore. Who cares? But also, they would have Tanner Scott and Donnie Hart, uh, who are both quote-unquote capable lefties. Again, capable in the realm of Baltimore. I've spent way too much time on Baltimore, but I will put Paul Fry in the mix. Let me actually go Givens, Fry, Castro, Scott in terms of my ranking. If you are chasing the Baltimore saves, you've probably already lost your league, let's be honest. All right, next on the list here, by the way, we've already covered Polanco, Jorge Polanco from Minnesota, Tyler O'Neill and Harrison Bader for St. Louis, Alberto Mondesi for the Royals, Michael Givens and the crap storm that is the Baltimore bullpen for Baltimore. And now we're on to Jeff McNeil. Now, if you want to think of generic baseball player name from like the 70s and you want to try to convince me that Jeff McNeil was like some, you know, stud in his day, but not quite good enough to be well known now uh you could have because i i don't know who that is you know the name i'm thinking of and this is i learned this guy from my dad um and and then from what if sports uh shout out to people who play what if sports still uh a mike epstein type like go look at his numbers like he's a really good player in his time had some really strong years but nobody like remembers and beyond that if you had tried to convince me that some guy named jeff mcneil and and painted a mike epstein sort of profile i would have believed you but no that's actually not who jeff mcneil is he's a 26 year old uh infielder type for the mets doesn't yet have hand foot mouth disease probably going to get it soon or the measles or the mumps or some other garbage because new york who the hell knows what's going on with the Mets, but he's going to come up or he's already up. He's played eight games. He's going to get some playing time because why the heck not? And he looks like he could maybe fill in for you in the, in the middle infield and hit for some average, maybe a little bit of pop. I don't know in, in double and triple A this year. Now, first off, let me just get this out of the way. He's 26. And so the fact that he even spent time in double a kind of invalidates those like that is, you know, that's really old for the level. So you better be killing it there or else what are we doing? But he did, he did rip, you know, rip it up. 241 plate appearances, 14 homers, 327 average and a 1029 OPS. Then goes to AAA Las Vegas, a great environment. And then a 26 year old should be ripping up in 143 plate appearances and hit 368 with five homers. He had three steals at each. He was six. He's six for six in the minors. This is a playing time, like fill-in type, uh, has a good eye, I believe, uh, has always been a, a guy with a solid walk rate. In fact, has 143 walks in his minor league career. Looks like it's just under a 10%, eh, kind of an 8%, not not as good as I thought. Maybe because he's up walking already, he has four walks in his 24 plate appearances, I might have overrated it. But this is an NL-only fill-in if you're looking for some playing time for a guy who should just get a run unless he just completely flops. Eh, it's a little something there. 
I probably this this list should not I should not have said that this is ranked in order because I would not put Jeff Jeff McNeil sixth. So I botched that one. Let's let's say that he's further down the list, but he is a playing time guy, NL only. You can take a look, Jeff McNeil for the Mets. Let me finish talking about him. Um, perhaps this might be a little bit of an AL counterpart to uh, to McNeil, except he's not as old, and I think there's a little bit more appeal here. David Fletcher, 24 year old uh, third baseman, I believe, for the Angels, and he's also going to be getting some playing time. And I think he's actually going to shift over to second base. I think his primary is third. But with the trade of Ian Kinsler, boom, doors wide open. By the way, the trade of Alstrubal Cabrera was why Jeff McNeil got included. Yeah, so Fletcher's going to be their second baseman, their starting second baseman right now. And he's going to get some burn. And the reason that I'm intrigued by him is because he's, he made Carson's fringe five quite a bit. And I've told you all this before on the show and in my writing. If you don't follow Carson's Fringe 5, I mean, you're just missing out on a great resource for potential fantasy goodness. He's uncovered or or highlighted a lot of good players that eventually become fantasy useful because it's not always the top prospects who develop into something. Um, you know, it's a top 100 list. There's not only 100 good prospects in baseball. You can't cover all of them. You can't you can't highlight all of them. And so what Carson tries to do is is find uh, in his fringe five five guys each week i believe i think it's weekly who you know didn't make the the high the high end of lists and and kind of wants to talk about them and say hey keep an eye on this guy he's somebody that you might have missed david fletcher's been making his list quite a bit and now boom he's up let's see what he can do he's hitting 287 so far in 134 plate appearances uh so al only probably already on lock but I think there might be some mixed league viability, 15 plus teams because of the playing time. And he doesn't strike out uh, um, very much at all. 13% at the majors. It was 8% in AAA this year. And he pairs that with a decent walk rate when you compare it to the strikeout. 6% walk rate is not going to knock your socks off. But when you're not striking out at all either, I'll take that. And so he has a 287, 331, 385. Not a lot of punch. We saw some punch at AAA Salt Lake. That's going to be PCL influence, so I would not, I would not get caught up on that. This is not a power play, David Fletcher. This is a batting average, playing time sort of play on a you know modestly capable offense. You know, if because here's the thing, he's slated to be batting ninth. Let me see where he's been batting. If he bats eight nine eight nine a lot and does get on base, well then he does have the top of the order at least to drive him in. So. It might not be so bad to to score some runs here because the the portion the top portion of the Angels roster actually isn't too bad. I'm looking right now. Okay, he's he's actually mixed in some leadoff. Uh, in fact, he led off yesterday. He's led off uh, three times in his last eight games. It's been one nine and then some sixes and eights mixed in as far as where he's batted in the lineup, but mostly nine. Uh, in fact, let's see. 13 times leading off and 15 times at, at nine. And then a handful in the middle that have actually ranged from five to eight. He's hit all of those spots, five, three times, six, three times, seven, four times, and once eighth. That's David Fletcher, uh, third base eligible, who's going to gain second base eligibility for the Angels. 
take a look at him. High contact could give you some good batting average. When you're talking about small samples, the BABIP can run high. And when you're a high contact guy like that, maybe he even eclipses the 287 we've seen so far for a short run. And uh, I don't see much speed-wise, but if they let him run, he could give you like five or six the rest of the way too. And so that would be great. David Fletcher. All right, next up. Again, these are no these are not in order. I shouldn't I, I, I originally thought that I think I gave up at five because I did list Polanco, uh O'Neill Bader, Mondesi, and and the Baltimore bullpen kind of in order there. But then McNeil's not sixth, and Fletcher's probably well, Fletcher might be seventh. But then the next guy is Michael Perez, who's gonna be catching uh some in Tampa Bay. Now I don't think that there's going to be some game-changing play here. He's he's eight for seventeen so far, so he's going to hit the radar. And if you're sorting, you know, you're looking for a, a catcher two, and you're just sorting by recent performance, you're going to see four seventy-one, and it's going to really stand out. He and that uh, Francisco Arcia, also of the Angels, they're going to probably stand out because they've been they've been doing some good work in a very short sample. I think it was like ten ribbies for Arcia and like five games or something. So Perez, 25-year-old catcher, going to get some playing time with Ramos being traded out, could even be the starter. So he he could get the bulk of the playing time. He did it 284 in AAA. So he was just traded. Oh, oh, was he part of the Matt Andrees trade? Because his AAA was actually with Reno uh, for Arizona. So yeah, he must have come over in the Andrees trade. Info I should have gotten before the show, perhaps. Yes, he was with Brian Schaefer, uh, coming over for Matt Andrees. And now they traded Ramos. Boom. Give him a shot to catch. Let's see uh, Let's see what uh, what he's done. Did he ever make the Fringe 5? Uh, click on his profile. No, unfortunately not. So Carson hates him. So I got to pull my endorsement. No, I'm just kidding. But listen, catcher has been an absolute wasteland. And in leagues with two catchers, I think... If he really is kind of the 65 end of a 65-35 split with Jesus Sucre, then I think we might have something here that would even be viable in 15-team uh, leagues with, with two catchers or even um, even maybe 12-team because the, the C2s that people have been rolling out this year are comically disgusting. Hell, some of the C1s that people have been having to put out there are bad. So Michael Perez, obviously not going to hit anywhere near 471 or anything like that. If he can come up and hit, you know, 260 and just not be a drain on your offensive numbers, hell, even 250 at this point with a little with a little bit of punch, a couple yaks might be enough to uh, to be salvation for what people have been looking at at catchers. That's Michael Perez for the Tampa Bay Rays. All right, moving down our list here. I'm going to jump in. I got another little duo. Um, And this one, like Bader and O'Neal are, they're separate. They were both separate entries, but you can kind of look at the, the, the fam trade helps the departure of Adam Duvall and he got traded over to Atlanta. And so now that opens up a spot. Let me click. Okay. Computer looking like it's trying to work again. Thank you for coming back. I do appreciate that. And we're live. Okay, so both are currently slotted in t- because Scott Shebler's on the DL. So the those two moves in concert, Shebler on the DL, although I do think he's working his way back, 
Uh, but Chevron on the DL and Duvall out to Atlanta has opened up time for both Williams and Irvin, and we'll see what they can do. I know Williams had a big grand slam the other day, and so that's kind of propping up his value. He's only played five games. Irvin's been up a bit more this year, and no surprise. Again, I'm talking speed. And so let me start with Irvin. Uh, does he? Where's he on the sprint? Oh, wow. I thought he was faster than this because I, I know he had like a, a speed profile in the minors. But he only ranks 183rd on the sprint speed leaderboard at 27.7 feet, tied with a bunch of guys. So 183rd, like once you think of it like the bell curve, of course, you know, those those top guys are the outliers on, on the high end there. But then it really starts to bunch. You get a lot of guys at 29.1, a lot of guys at 29 flat, 28.9. Like that really, you have to list all of them though. And if you have, you know, 18 guys at 28.4, they're all going to slot at each rank. So you're going to say 98th, even though the 80th guy also has the same one. So I'm not trying to soft pedal the fact that the 183 still surprises me. But if you were ranking it of like the X fastest, it wouldn't be 183rd when you start to factor in ties. But Irvin isn't as fast as I thought, at least from that. Uh, he did get a 60 speed grade on, on our scouting report for him, and he has shown speed in the minors uh, throughout throughout all his time. Although this year he was only 10 for 17 on the bases. Dude, you got to make better decisions there. But he did have 23 last year and 29 chances at AAA. 36 out of 46 in AA back in 2016. So we've seen some speed. He's only one for two in his 30 games so far. And it, actually, I'm going to just be up front with y'all. When <laughs> I made a little leaderboard with all these guys, and I accidentally looked at the RBI column and thought he had eight stolen bases. So that's why I was like, eight stolen bases in 30 games? Irvin's been going wild. It's just one. But speed is his calling card. That's what you're going to be looking for. He's had some good batting averages at times. But I, I don't really trust him to do anything except kind of lean on a high Babbitt via contact to get a batting average. So I would be planning for more of like a 260 and and some speed from Philip Irvin. Mason Williams, former Yankees prospect. And I, you always have to wonder, like, did he get prospect hype because he was a Yankee or was he legitimately good? Like, I think that that's still a thing that can happen at times. Not it's just, you know, when you're on the Yankees, you get a little bit more of a highlight. And so sometimes there's a Yankees bias, Yankees tax, I like to say, in drafts as well. Uh, but he was a three-time top 100 guy over at MLB and two-time on BP and, and Baseball America. I'm looking at the uh, um, baseball reference, which they cite that. I don't know why they don't put ours. Ours are freely available. Um, I wonder why they don't list what our guys put, because that would be a nice little addition there uh, i got no issues with any of the ones listed mlb ba or or bp but 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 get ours in there as well because these aren't even all free mlbs are but then ba bp aren't those behind paywall so get our get ours up there anyway that's neither here nor there i'm not trying to start i'm not trying to start anything with that it'd just be cool if we, if we had ours it'd be easier to find them that that way too to say okay he he ranked uh, you know, two, three times on, on fan boards as well. But Mason Williams prospect long time ago, you talk about prospect fatigue. He's 26 and he was in the consciousness back in 2010 as an 18 year old. He first charted in 2012. Um, so even that you're just looking from 12 to 18, 
he's been around for a while and hasn't really done much. He's had my, tiny, tiny little stints at the majors. He's never even gotten 30 plate appearances in a season. So he clearly hasn't panned out to what the prospect hype has had for him. However, he is up now, and he should get some burn in Cincinnati. They can see what they've got with him. He was having a decent year down at AAA. Um, wow, he was 5 for 13 on the bases in AAA. Maybe just don't run. But he did have six homers and uh, 28 extra base hits out of his out of his 89 hits. 283, 41, 418. This is more of a playing time situation than anything else where if he's playing, he can get you some counting numbers and maybe give you a little, a little mix of skills. Uh, hopefully the major leagues teach Mason Williams how to steal better or they're just probably going to say don't do it. But if he can throw, you know, four to six steals and seven to ten homers, the rest of that, that'd be a lot. Ten homers the rest of the way. That's like a 30 homer pace. So that's over overstating it. Let's say five to seven. It's a deep league play. But you got to keep an eye on these guys because in the second half, they can get some playing time. And then, of course, September comes up. Beat up on some September call-ups. I think that that's generally overplayed by the way of like people wanting to dismiss September numbers because they uh, because of September call-ups but that doesn't mean that there aren't cases where a guy did get the call beat up on September call-ups and kind of is a bit of a mirage so we'll see what happens with Williams and Irvin and who kind of wins that battle when Shebler comes back but they are they are a couple guys you should be looking at all right and then the last one one more speed play I know that's been kind of the theme but it's because I look at these stolen base numbers that are leading the league. Like I said, 28 for Turner leads the league, and it's August 2nd. That is crazy. In fact, let me do something. This is not quite a tangent, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look this up here. Let's see what, on August 2nd last year, was leading the league for stolen bases. Just last year. I got to imagine it was higher. Do-do-do. Let's see. I'm 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 going to be doing this. It's going to take a second here. Stick with me. And we're in August 2017. We'll put it on August 1st. We'll say through August 1st since today's games are still going. Let's be fair. I know actually didn't the season start a little bit earlier this year though or something like that so there'd be more games, but I think that would highlight the point even more. So I'm looking at it now. Switch over to this. Give me some SB. All right. The SB leaders through July last year, Billy Hamilton had 44. D. Gordon, 38. Trey Turner himself, 35. Now, those three kind of stood out above the pack, and then it was a little bit of a, uh, you know, right back to where we are this year. But at least you had the three guys that are most counted on for steals dominating the category now hang on let me let me pull down a uh i, I want to take the plate appearance threshold off because you can have guys who steal they don't play a ton they might have they might have nope okay nobody moved up there so yeah you had hamilton gordon and turner all at 35 plus and then you had one two three four five six other guys with 20 plus this year through that same period through august 1st of this year we have do, do, do. silence is awesome for an audio format. We have the, the 28 from Gordon, 
25 for, excuse me, 28 for Turner, 28 for Gordon and Marte and Jose Ramirez, by the way. How disgusting is he with 32 homers leading the league? He also has 25 stolen bases. Like, that is filthy. Then throw in a 301 average. What a beast. We actually have 11 guys with at least 20. How many did I say for last year? I don't know. You guys heard me. I don't remember. I don't remember nine seconds ago. What what amazing recall from my I think I said like six guys, didn't I? I don't know. Jeez, that's embarrassing. I literally forgot the number of guys with twenty plus steals. I'm going back. I'm looking at it. Okay. Seven. Okay, so that's interesting, right? So the the highs were higher with Hamilton, Gordon, and Turner, but we actually in twenty is like an arbitrary cutoff or whatever because I'm looking right now and there were two other guys, Rajay Davis and Delano Shields who had nineteen, but then you jump down to seventeen. So seven last year, eleven. You know, it's it's still interesting. The bottom line though is that you don't need many steals from a player to be making an impact. So a guy who is slated to get six to nine, the, nice the rest of the way, that's an impact. That's a, that's a pretty high impact, too. And if they're not killing you everywhere else, that can be especially good. So that's what we had and the, uh, that's what we had last year versus this year. And to that end, with Leonis Martin being traded, that brings me to Victor Reyes, Rule 5 pick for the Tigers, who could get some burn and end up being a, a, a pure speed asset for the club. Um, Jacoby Jones was already playing. Now I think his, his full his full playing time is is now locked in. Uh, Reyes, I think, is the beneficiary. Let me see where he ranks on the sprint speed leaderboard. He's at 22nd uh, at 29.3. And so he's up there. You know, he's he, that, that's that's some game-changing speed. That's why he was a Rule 5 pick because they had some speed. They figure we're a rebuilding team. He's a 23-year-old. Let's just see if there's anything here. And he hasn't been that good. In 119 plate appearances, he does have 20, uh, a 222 average. 235 OBP and a 274 slug. None of that is good uh, in the slightest. However, seven for seven on the bases. And so if they're going to play him, I think he would have to get the performance up to a certain level. This continued performance, you can't. You can't play a 509, even on a rebuilding team. He has to show some sort of development and, and push forward. In fact, I'm looking... Even in the, if you just want to say, okay, well, maybe he's been performing recently. No, no. Since July 1st, 540 OPS um, and two, two of those seven steals. But playing time and speed has, it, has value, especially in the AL only, where I don't know that Reyes is automatically on a roster. Victor Reyes, Tigers, Rule 5 pick. So he's, he's some more speed, and that was kind of the, the main focus here it didn't it wasn't planning to be it just i wanted to see you know the trade aftermath guys and i started noticing oh a lot of these guys are speed assets so uh let's review the list and hang on let me put them in a more of an order that i believe in so that you're not picking up jeff mcneil over some other guys and saying well you said sporer you said all right here's how we're gonna play this I'm just going to put – I'm going to rank the hitters. I'm going to put the pitching off to the side, right? Michael Givens slash Baltimore, uh, Paul Fry, uh, Miguel Cacho, uh, Tanner Scott. They're off to the side. They're, they're kind of their own thing, okay? If, you, if you're desperate for saves, you can join that crap parade. Let's focus on the hitters in question here. Jorge Polanco would be my number one. Harrison Bader would be my number two. Tyler O'Neill would be three. Alberto Mondesi, four. 
then now there there's a big cliff then okay those four i think get a lot of mixed league viability probably not 10 teamer maybe reserve and 10 teamer if you guys reserve a lot but 12 teamer and beyond i'm starting to look at all four of those guys now we we cliff dive here and we start to get into deep 15 team slash only leagues and you're talking about david fletcher for the angels uh michael perez might be in his own category as well because he's a catcher and because catcher's been so bad hell there might be somebody in a 10 team to catch your league that needs it. that's how bad it's been so i'll leave that up to your discretion there i'm going to put perez off to the side with the pitching uh, but so after we go off our cliff here we're going to go david fletcher mason williams slash philip irvin whoever kind of wins that playing time battle after shebler comes back from the dl jeff mcneil with the uh mets and then victor reyes for the tigers okay and so there's my I, I started with 10, and I think it's actually 11 if you count Irvin and Mason Williams as separate, and then like 14 if you count all the Baltimore guys I talked about. But those are players from the deadline aftermath who are going to fill voids left by guys who were dealt. And these can often be the overlooked parts of trades. Everyone's psyched about who's getting traded, and I totally understand that. That is the most fun of it. And that's why it was awesome that we had a great deadline day, despite having such a good run up to the deadline. But you also have to see who's filling those voids. And here's a handful of guys that I think can, uh, can be fantasy worthy across different league formats. All right. Thanks for listening. Want an unfair advantage to dominate your fantasy baseball league? Well, look no further and download SquadQL, the only mobile app you need to crush your friends and rivals this year. Download SquadQL for free for your Apple and Android devices. SquadQL recommends the best starting lineup each day based on your starters, bench players, and free agent pool. How does SquadQL actually do this? The app connects directly with your Yahoo, ESPN, and CBS leagues, pulling in your actual roster, your league scoring system. The app also provides waiver wire recommendations, daily updates to player rankings, and much more. Head to the Apple app or Google Play stores to download SquadQL, your all-in-one fantasy baseball manager. SquadQL is brought to you by the creators of RotoQL, the leading daily fantasy Lineup optimizer trusted by over 100,000 DFS players. You can also download RotoQL for free for both Apple and Android.